Excellent. We are live on Planetary Health First, Mars Next, and we are super excited today. We have some amazing special guests, and this is part of our new series, Bring a Friend, because when you have friends, you can reimagine healthcare together. And you can deep dive on subjects. And man, we have some super healthcare wizards uh, making Harry Potter look like nothing here today. We have Sergio Wagner and we got Sharice Maynard. And let me just do a little quick intro of both of them. Sergio was very involved at Healthcare Gorilla as the co-founder, chief strategy officer. And he was formerly at Stanford Medicine. I think you've heard of both those companies. So I don't think we need to talk too much more about that. And then uh, regarding Sharice, uh, Sharice Maynard, who is my friend, I can say for sure, um, and hope to see more of her on these series. And she is the founder of, uh, co-owner of Nostra Medical, Data Medical, also the founder of Ask Sharice and Hit Like a Girl podcast, which I know you've heard of before, um, and the owner, and she's driving much of that there, and love to see what you're continuing to do. And Sharice, you want to share a little more about yourself? Thanks, Michael, for having me, and Michael is my friend. Um, and Hit Like a Girl, I'm actually the co-owner. Um, that was founded by Joy Rios and Robin um, Roberts, um, two good friends, and we were very happy to develop that company into something that is more than just about women. It's actually about the power of um, making change in the healthcare sector. So I'm very happy with the direction that company is going in. And Nostra Data Medical, we work on the problems around the law of healthcare, which I'm very proud to say I'm deeply involved in. And with my own company, again, I um, consult with um, brands on how to bring healthcare solutions to market and how to gain greater visibility on policy and um, on their solutions. I help them work on to where they're actually scalable. So I'm very proud of the work that I've done. And through my work, I've um, met my friend, um, Sergio Wagner, and I'm very happy to be here with him today. Well, Sergio. We would love to hear just a little bit about, a little more about you. Can you share? Be happy to help and happy to share. Uh, good morning. And my name is Sergio Wagner. I have been a healthcare executive for uh, well over 20 years now. I started my career uh, as an interesting detour from thought I wanted to be a lawyer, decided against it, and um, worked for MSOs, IPAs, and, and medical groups through uh, the state of California. Um, built an MSO from the ground up for uh, East Bay Medical Group called Affinity Medical Group at a point in time, 2010, when most of the uh, the healthcare ecosystem was beginning to, to pick a dancing partner. Um, I was fortunate enough to be part of the strategy team that ultimately led the uh, sale of Affinity Medical Group assets into what ultimately became Stanford Healthcare, uh, ran and scaled Stanford's uh, uh, ambulatory side. Uh, so we were growing a medical foundation coupled with the, the, the facility in the hospital. And that's when I'll, I ultimately, in the aggregation and uh, collection of doctors and uh, acquisition of medical practices, I met a, uh, a gentleman that ultimately became my, my co-founder into what became the last 10 years of my life, which was uh, co-founding and launching uh, Health Gorilla, which is uh, an interoperability solution. 
Uh, as of today, I'm doing consulting at large and I am uh, getting ready to start a new venture. Which we cannot share. It's still under wraps. So it will not go live. You will not hear his new venture on uh, planetary health. Uh, so anyway, today we're going to be deep diving on really all about pre-authorization and healthcare. Uh, we're going to be talking about artificial intelligence, sort of buzz buzz have you heard that the buzzword and large language model so i actually can say it so the fact that i can say it tells you that i don't know much about it so much of probably my mother could say much about ai right now so you guys want to start on a little bit unpacking just where we should go with this sharice you're on mute i think there you go uh, yeah the um well, the current state of pre I think we're at a peculiar inflection point um, with pre-authorizations. I love this particular subject because of the way organizations are interpreting pre-authorizations. So we have companies like um, some of the insurers and, and player, payers like that are looking at pre-authorizations as maybe now it's a hindrance to moving forward. And we're having, seeing them remove some of the obstacles or that are pre-off. So some of the conditions that you were required to have pre-offs for in the past, now they're saying maybe we don't need to have people have um, pre-offs for that. But also in the insurance industry, we're having them use um, AI and um, other means innovations to blanketly reject pre-authorization. So we're at a peculiar point. And I think this is such an interesting subject because of so much is going on with um, regulation and looking at how pre-offs have not only structured what we've done in the past, but how it's um, presenting either opportunities or roadblocks for the future. Well, you know, one, one of the things that's exciting to me, it's, or I, I agree with everything Charissa said for, for, for the record, but the other thing that I, I get excited about is, you know, um, having had the opportunity to be so narrowly focused, focused into a, a, a venture or a topic for, for so long, and then pulling back and having a broader look allows you to sometimes to have a sort of same conviction, different perspective, if you will. So somebody smart said to me, what is it that you're solving for? And th that's something that usually sticks sticks with me a lot. So when we think about you know the pre-off, the prior off, whatever you want to call it, is what are we solving for, and who are we solving it for? I think that those are very very important questions because when you think about you know large language models and AI and then Da Vinci and all of these people that have been really focused and paid a lot of attention to this, is what are we really really solving for? I think that that is a very important piece of the equation that we need to to, to unpack as well. Because if we don't, we may be throwing a lot of a lot of ideas, a lot of a lot of workflows, a lot of resources, a lot of technology into. And if we haven't really fundamentally solved and asked the very simple question of who gains, who loses, and who is it designed to help? Is it designed to help the payers? Is it designed to help the providers? Is it designed to help the patients? And usually there seems to be a convergence of actual meaningful things happening when there is an alignment of those, of those factors. Like for example, why did we have such a, such a drive? I mean, you could be a cynic or you could be an optimist, right? I mean, 
the cynic in me will go, wow, we have been talking about for interoperability for the better part of 10 years. And here we are having a wonderful podcast with friends talking about interoperability and portions of it. So that would be the cynic. The, the optimist would say, you know, it wasn't long ago, 10, 12 years ago, that I was acquiring practices for a sizable health system in Palo Alto, California, and putting those practices that I was buying on a very, very big worldwide known EMR. And my number one request was, gosh, you know, uh, I sure hope that my competitors, Kaiser Permanente and Sutter, can't read my data. Because at Stanford, I this is my patience. This is my ecosystem. And the reality is that it wasn't until all of these organizations started taking risk that then they said, you know, does it make sense for us to share patient data if we're all treating the same patient at one point in time? So that was the unique moment in time when there was alignment and everybody said, you know, stakeholder A, B, and C said, you know, okay, fine, let's raise our hands and let's agree that um, it makes sense for us to share data so long as we're all collectively or at one point in time have treated the same patient. I think that if we have the same sort of alignment on prior authorization, we're going to see some meaningful progress because there's a lot of people that have done a ton of work. Um, what I'm not really seeing just yet is, is the alignment. And there's a couple of other little pieces that if, if they fall into place, um, could certainly drive. And obviously, you know, QHINs will play or have the potential to play um, a large role in that. And just to piggyback on something Sergio said, it reminds me of, because Sergio and I come from the same background. We're both strategists by trade, um, and we both um, kind of dabbled in law and regulation, all that kind of stuff before we settled in the spaces that we are. And I just remember um, um, consulting with companies and early on, like maybe in the 90s or late 90s to say, hey, um, this data is very valuable. Patient data is very valuable. Why would you share? <laughs> And now we've come almost full circle where we're like, you need to share. <laughs> so sharing, I is good. sharing is good, right? So um, I think that is, you know, part of the problem is breaking some of the bad habits of the past. And I don't even know if they were bad habits at a time, but certainly to move us forward now, we have to consider that we have to um, shed some of those habits and move on. And even with that, like um, pre-off, the whole system of pre-offs, if you're thinking in, in terms of innovation, um, we are still largely a manual pre-off system. And that really needs to change. So I, I, you know, I totally agree with what Sergio said, but it just brought up kind of like, wow, we've totally come full circle with how we are addressing this problem. So is that a segue to the AI and LLMs, how there might be some opportunity there? There's definitely opportunity. I'm sure Sergio has an opinion about this. Go ahead, sir. I have very controversial opinions on, on very, very things. I mean, the reality is, can, can AI and LLM help? Oh, my God, absolutely so. But then again, I go back to the beginning. What are we solving for? Because the reality is that, you know, even when you look at a managed care model where you have a division of financial responsibility between a payer and a medical group, and we say, the, the payer says, okay, for anything that is a facility component, we pay. For anything that is a facility, uh, a facility component, we pay. Professional component, we pay. And even at a professional component, the medical group, IPA, enterprise, 
will say to its constituency, its 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 physician groups, uh, anything in this list, uh, go ahead and render services. Anything that's here, like a like an MRI with or without dye, we will want an off. And it's simply the off is nothing. Oftentimes, it's not even about medical necessity, but it is about controlling cost. It is about is this the right, I mean, and that doesn't sound very nice to say, but the reality is, you know, let's, listen, if an MRI is requested, chances are that the patient actually needs it. So what the prior off is there to do is just, let's make sure that it is, yeah, it checks a box. And also more importantly, let's make sure that it's going to the right vendor with whom we have a contract. Otherwise we may end up paying an out of, out of network payment or an out of network fee. So I, I think the AI can play a role but again, I, 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 I'm fundamentally ingrained on the fact that if we align the incentives, I mean, what's what's an auth? I mean, a pre-auth, right? A payer says, hey, before I fork over payment for a rendered service, I want to make sure that it is justifiable and is going to the right vendor. The provider basically wants to get the service done and the patient just want to get taken care of. So I, I think that if we have alignment and incentives, we, I think AI and LLM can actually power those things. Easier said than done, don't get me wrong, I'm not naive. But I, I think that that's a fundamental piece that, that we have not addressed, that we as an industry have not addressed. We've made strides, and, and I do want to take my hat off to, to people like the, you know, the Da Vinci Group that have made you know, incredible efforts and strides. I mean, and there are models out there today that could basically work. You know, when I, I've, been, I've been talking to the health systems and, and payers and they're saying, listen, 80 flat, 80 flat, 85, 80s flattish percent of the prior off that basically come through. We don't, you know, they're, they're pre-approved. We don't even look at. So what's the point of doing it then? Um, it's, 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 it should be more than a checking box exercise and it should be broader, broader alignment. Um, I'm not advocating for a fully integrated system, uh, but we are creative people. I mean, we have brought the industry to this level. We ought to really crack this, this next layer of the nut. So what do you think is the biggest challenge with the integration or the alignment? I mean, how does one start that process? I hate to, I mean, I'm, I'm, I woke up and I haven't had enough coffee, so I'm going to be a bit of a cynic this morning. <laughs> Um, money, simple mm -hmm. as that money, you know, we are in a healthcare business. We are in a healthcare business. Now you see why I like them. Cause that's one of the things I always say, love it or hate it. Healthcare in the United States is a business model. We like to think of it as a care model, but it is a business model. And where we are at a point now where 70, 70, um, 77% of our um, EDs are owned by private equity. Money is the driver. So surgery is 100% right. So, yeah, Michael, it, it's money mm -hmm. and, and, it, and, it's, and it's, uh, it's power, too, mm. right? Because, listen, I mean, when I was at Stanford Health, you know, we were, yeah, yeah, healing humanity through science and compassion one patient at a time. See, I still remember that. <laughs> uh, but it was like, how do we make sure that Sutter and Kaiser don't beat us? Mm-hmm. Mm and how do I make sure that, you know, we still have, you know, the edge on UCSF because, you know, we didn't like them that much. We, we always had a frenemy competition, but, but that's, that's the reality, you know, mm -hmm. now at a place like, like Stanford health, it's, it's an amazing place and it's got 
it's incredibly blessed to be, you know, in, a, in an incredibly affluent area. Um, but it is about money, right? You know, it, it's uh, th- th- there's a reason why we, you know, we keep talking about, you know, medical loss ratio. There, there's a reason. I mean, healthcare is a business, and, and it's the more that we. I'm not saying let's do away with the business, but the more that we can actually align those incentives. And which is another reason why you have seen this incredible vertical integration, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are almost no independent practice associations slash medical groups left. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the California Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area as a microcosm, there's no individuals. You are either part of the Stanford system, part of the UCSF mm-hmm. system, part of the Kaiser system, so part of the Sutter system. Then I mean, I'm sure I'm missing some 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 other things out there. Um, and, and, and that's, that's okay. Listen, the pursuit of happiness and, and profit is, is, it's fine and dandy, but you know, if we're really going to get serious about prior off, then let's be honest about it and let's define, Hey, listen, you know what? So long as you go within this circle of providers, we don't need an off because we have a vertical integration and we own it all, which is kind of what Kaiser has attempted to do in a, in, in a way from its inception, right? Which well, let's be honest, you know, it hasn't gone that badly for them. I appreciate your honesty, Sergio. That's why this is so, you know, important that we have places like this where we can talk because you just don't hear this. I mean, and yeah, I think people think you come up like that we can come up with these amazing um, workflow ideas for EDs and for health systems and that type of thing. And it just becomes this amazing, you know, altruistic thing. But at the end of the day, power and money drive a lot of what we do. So um, when you, you can hope mm-hmm. <laughs> for the best, but you need to be realistic about where we work. Now, the, I agree. And, and the trick is ideally to come up with innovative solutions and in the innovative services to push the conversation mm-hmm. alignment and to make the, 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 the work easier right because on top of that it's like we can have you know Therese and i could say okay let's shake a hand and let's agree to do something mm-hmm. but then on top of that if the actual work the good work of being aligned and incentivized and you make a buck i make a buck you don't you don't screw me i don't screw you but then on top of that if, if that comes in with an additional 87 work man hours then we may go mm-hmm. oh, i don't know is it really worth it though at the end of the day so this is where the technology and the innovation come in, because there is a huge, huge um, opportunity for that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it needs to be part of the, 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 innovative, the innovative space. But the fundamentals have to be there. Like, the, you know, the three of us have to agree that, you know, we are aligned and this is how we're moving. Mm-hmm. And then so, yeah, that's when technology comes in, I think. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm hearing two things. The big thing is money. Let's get real. How are we going to make money? You know, all of us together. And, and drive that alignment. And then the workflows, the process and what technology is going to work for all of us. And what does that really look like? And until you have those two things ironed out, you ain't getting anywhere. I agree. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can we go like down the road? Because you guys are awesome because you're friends and you've given, Cerise, you've given us some really good stuff uh, prior these questions, five, 10 years. Like, what are your predictions on this? Uh, is this off the table? Should I just put this question off or does this get you guys excited to talk about it? Well, I'm excited to talk about it. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a couple of things happen that excite me about um, the whole pre-off process. First thing is, um, and I've discussed this in one of um, Sergio's talks, is that um, 
Amazon being a part of this particular game right now will be a game changer for pre-offs. And I think the the um, persona that's going to benefit them being in this space are patients. So I think um, Amazon ha is looking for ways to alleviate the whole pre-auth process. And um, in doing so, they've been searching a ways like, does it make sense to still have pre-offs when we do have better innovation to to say what a patient truly needs? Why are we, you know, still doing this? The other thing that's happening is that um, companies are realizing that maybe pre-authorizations are too strenuous and too much of a time suck for um, clinicians, and that's something we need to look at. And I always say, because this is a business, um, you know the fisherman always sees the other fisherman coming. A good fisherman always sees um, the other fisherman coming. So if insurers and the like uh, in healthcare organizations are smart, they're studying Amazon right now to look at this problem. So I'm excited about the future because I think some of the obstacles and some of the heavy lifts around um, pre-authorizations are going to go by the wayside because um, we like to have conversations about pre-authorization processes but honestly, pre-authorization processes are still kind of a mess. So I'm looking forward to the future. And I am very interested to hear what Sergio has to say about it. <laughs> uh, I agree with you. Um, I, 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 so, you know, I was pulling some small notes because, I mean, this conversation gets me geeked out and excited about stuff. So, <laughs> so let's be a little bit more, you know, granular about what we're talking about. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, 84 men and 16 women control healthcare in the US. These are the larger payers and health systems, right? So, but we also know that it's a $4.3 trillion industry, 18% mm -hmm. of our GDP. So let's get real. If we, if we don't think it's about money, $4.3 <laughs> trillion, 18% of the, the most powerful economy in the world is healthcare. So, yes, let's heal patients and let's do right by patients, but let's, let's also be honest. Um, to Sharice's point, you know, vertical integration is nearly done, right? There's no more doctors to acquire. I mean, there was once upon a time when I was wearing a different hat, I would see an orthopod and I would say, huh, that's 2.5 million in revenue to my hospital. Mm -hmm. It's how I think. It's, I was ingrained to think that way, right? Uh, but I do agree that it's this intersection of let's be real about money and let's, let's align. But... Um, I do think that organizations like One Medical being acquired by Amazon, which are mm -hmm. the movers, are, are mm -hmm. likely to shake up the healthcare system uh, in favor of patients. And I do believe that, that therein lies the interesting opportunity that this is where the technology comes in. Because if you have a sizable en engine or a sizable entity that has the ability to move some of these pieces, and in fact, I think Amazon was offering like $9.99 you know, uh, mm -hmm. telehealth, telehealth visits. That's scary for a lot, but I, I also think that, you know, the technology and back to your point, Michael, about how to leverage and how to, you know, AI or large language models. Um, such a tongue twister for me to say. Um, I am absolutely convinced that, you know, the organization that leverages AI and sort of weaponizes chat GBT yep. will win. Mm. will win. I mean, if you really think about it, 40 to 50% of MD time is actually spent on administrative processes. Yep. Period in the story. So if, if, 
if there are organizations that are effectively and effective and successful at weaponizing data, kind of the same way Epic did it in the early days, um, we, I mean, they will win. I mean, anyone that ultimately has the ability to effectively, and I hate to use the word weaponize, but it's such a powerful word, um, will have a shot at winning the whole thing. Um, yeah, that's one. I also think that it's now now we have seen this incredible evolution of the primary care experience aggregation, whether it's Carvin, whether it's One Medical, whether it's you know all of these organizations. I also think that now is the time to aggregate specialists. So we're beginning to see that. I mean, we saw a little bit in the early two thousands. I mean, anesthesiologists. I mean, formed once upon a time a little cartel that held them hostage. Um, El Chapo's. <laughs> Uh, you don't want to end up. That's my money. favorite specialty. Yeah, El Chapo. I'm telling you, they are they are really they're brilliant. Yeah, of course they're brilliant. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you say, hey, a surgery is going to happen, and the anesthesiologist is going to be in the room. So either having them contract, <laughs> or you can you can end up paying 190 bucks ASA, and what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. um, not anesthetize the patient, uh, but I, I I do think that. Um, uh, I do think that that's, that's that. Um, you know, the, the other thing that it will play a factor in this that I want to sort of ink on is um, one of the things that I, I, I truly feel that will help the process of prior off is we have now lived through probably the greatest era of data commoditization. Access to data is a commodity. Mm -hmm. And this is a controversial topic because of the place I, I come from. But the reality is that, uh, you know, once upon a time, and the once upon a time is probably circa 20, I don't know, 2016, 17, you know, the, the fledgling beginning and expansion of the uh, data sharing networks like Air Quality, eHex, and, 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 and Commonwealth, you know, being a connector, providing access to the data and the technology was, was in and of itself sort of an innovation, right? Because there weren't, a whole lot of you know on ramps to to data. We so and effectively we went from and I promise you I'm going to tie all of this a prior off. Um, once upon a time we went from having access to no data to having a ton of data to having so much data I don't even know what to do with it. So great. So there's all of these CCDs and HL7 JSON stream fires and what have you, and making sense of the data. And I think that sometimes in that rush to accessing data, we sometimes forget about, to me, to me personally, the four principles of data, of, of data interoperability, which are give me access to the data, give it to me in a format that I can actually use it and read it. Most importantly, make sense of the data. Give it some meaning. Do you care that Sergio had his tonsils out when he was two? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe you care about this last three lipid panels. And Fourth and just as, as as pivotal, give me a way to put put that data back into my system of record, whatever that may be. Maybe it's Epic, maybe it's eClick, maybe it's Meditech. I don't care. If you actually stick to those four principles, interoperability will continue to be driven forward. That's point one. Point two is, I am excited to see what QHINs will do and what the government will allow and empower yeah. QHINs to do. Now, being a QHIN is an amazing thing. And congrats to all the QHINs, right? You know, Kanza, Health Gorilla, Epic, great, great step forward.
That's the only one I wasn't in favor of was Epic. I'm like, it felt not right that Epic should be a QHIN. <laughs> I mean, they control north north 60% of the hospitals in the US. So obviously, mm-hmm. I, 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 I would have been shocked if they didn't want to have a seat at the table. Oh, definitely. Uh, but, but, but that being said, right? I mean, that being said is, so now you're a QHIN and you have all of these permitted uh, purposes, but let's not go in halfway because let's let's be honest, right? Participating in a QHIN is kind of a voluntary thing today. You don't have to join yeah. a QHIN. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't have to participate in a QHIN. The moment CMS, HHS, CDC says, you know what, guys? Got to pick a QHIN. 2027, I'm making that prediction. <laughs> the, moment, the moment the industry is pushed to go to that, Access to data in and of itself is not going to be all that it, all that it is, but having or all of these organizations, if we all play in the same ecosystem, it's going to give us all of the things that we need in terms of the, the true fusion of clinical data and counter data and, and any other um, subsidiary data type that you need. Organizations are going to have all of the data needed to make their models and predictions. So I... I project and I propose that there is a world in which prior auths aren't going to be needed. Hello. Wow. You heard it I live. truly believe it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I if, mean you really, if you really think about it, like for instance. It's just common if, sense. If, if, if you I'm look a, at the. If I'm a, it, sorry. If I'm a primary care doctor and Charisse is a specialist and Michael, you own the facility and the three of us are somewhat aligned and you have the data, I have the data, you have the data. I more or less, let's make money. I am a capitalist at heart, but, uh, you know, let's align. And I, I think that we can keep cost at bay. And let's, let's, not, let's not forget, guys, healthcare is the only industry in which, insofar as we are successful at driving interoperability, making all those things, uh, this mon- this, the money spent on healthcare should actually decline. So uh, mm-hmm. newsflash, someone's going to lose in this deal and someone's not going to like it. I'm predicting that the losers are going to be insurance companies. Maybe. So I guess that's. I'm I'm hoping that's. I'm the I'm the the, um, turtle here. It takes me a little to process what I hear, but I think we heard a mic drop from Sergio in the perfect world where data is there and accessible. That will make the whole need for pre-authorization obsolete is that correct did we hear it live yeah. all right yeah 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 even if you think about it in terms of even the most basic of um you know llms they are learning models so everything we put into them we're they're learning and will eventually be able to perform tasks and automate things that um in the past were done by um, the pre-authorization process. If that process is no longer needed, what do we need? I mean, what are we doing? So I agree with Sergio. I look forward to the day when we say, what pre-auth? <laughs> you know, um, hopefully, like I said, I think some of the requirements that like with QHINs and stuff are going to start being um, enforced in 2027. Um, and I hope that begins the downfall of pre-auth. <laughs> yeah, or, or at a very, very minimum in the world in which pre-authorization is needed, it will be because medical necessity, yep. not financial exposure, mm-hmm. will be actually judged. The driver, mm-hmm. yep. So this is, so we're, we're taking this 
bringing this back, I would have never thought we'd come to this on this show um, until just now. I told you you'd be blown away by Sojo. He's brilliant. Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> but I think, um, you know, when you're trained and when you've been a strategist as long as the two of us have, that's all we think about all the time. Like, where is this going? What does this mean? How can my clients make money from this? Um, and at the same time, make it make sense for um, patients being able to get the care where they need it, when they need it, by whom they want it to be by. Um, and that's a delicate um, balance because at the end of the day, both patients and um, clinicians believe that pre-authorization, the whole process of it is a hindrance to um, accessing care, right? Um, but from a money side of it, from the organization side of it, it's necessary to contain costs and that type of thing. But I do believe there's a future if we're using um, technology, LLMs and that type of thing, where we'll be able to contain costs without it causing such a problem for the people who need access to um, care most. So, you know, I strongly believe that there will be a day that we won't need this pre-authorization process as it exists today. So where do you see it in the middle ground, like from the, the point where we are now to where that day happens? Like where 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 do you predict these next, you know, few years, the growing pain? Because I see this as an opportunity for precision medicine, better like really yep. technologies to drive better diagnostics, better care, better remote care, better genomes, all, all the stuff that like you know, why are they giving people medications when if you took whatever that, you know, you're not even metabolizing it right? Or why are we doing an MRI where you didn't even need it? It's muscular skeletal. So uh, I would see that this is an opportunity for better care decisions with, with elevation of technology. Um, and I'll stop that because I'm just the guy that actually just puts something out there and I'll stop. Well, no, I was smiling because I, you know, the moment you said that, you know, as I, I oh. Can I say that? Yeah, I, I could say it. So I, I'm I'm about to turn 50, but nearly 10 years ago, I, I I was born in Argentina. And the point of that is I love soccer. I, I play soccer. I used to play with my <laughs> kids. And I am a, I'm incredibly and very highly competitive. So sometimes, at, even back then at 40, I would go and pick up, pick up games on, on Sundays and play against 18, 19-year-olds. And sometimes I forget that I'm 40 and they're 18. The point is I did a horrible this this extension of my my knee just pivoted like 40 degrees the wrong way and um it it, it so happened because uh long story short i was uh i did a i did an experiment where you know i i was fortunate enough to to to, to live in two healthcare systems to be in a completely enclosed healthcare system because um i had access to that and to also live in a fee-for-service world so back to the main point of financial alignment you know, in the fee-for-service world, right, I was given an MRI, I was sent to the orthopod. The orthopod really wanted to cut up my knee and say, oh, we got to get in there. Uh, and in the self-contained world, you know, I sat down and I said, you know, one of the, the, the other network doctors said, listen, sir, you're 40 years old. You're not going to play competitive soccer anytime soon. The reality is that, you know, with some PT and some, 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 some rehab, you know, we'll take an, you know, we'll take an extra year of the knee, 
We'll access the, the MRIs that we have on records if they're not too old. We'll take a look. We'll, we'll watch it. Now, I ended up going with that option, rehab the knee, and, you know, and again, it worked. The point is a financial alignment. In a fee-for-service world, we are incentivized to just bill, bill, bill. In fact, one of the fallacies of the, the entire foundation model is, listen, I was culpable of this. I would go into physicians' offices and I would buy their practices and I would say, hey, Dr. Mann, how much money do you want to make? You want to make 200000 You want to make 300000 Not a problem. Let me show you an RVU model in which if you bill enough, you mm -hmm. will get to that number. That's the reality. Mm -hmm. So there has to be some, some, some alignment, right? There has to be some, and, and, you know, I go back to another principle that I, they, that not mine, I stole from Professor Robinson from Berkeley, which he, he was talking about the Toyotaification of hospitals. Mm. You know, how do you get to the point? That, I mean, there's, you know, I don't know that Alameda County Hospital in, in near Oakland can compete with Stanford. But what I am saying is, what if, like hospitals were left to, left to its own devices, hospitals, medical systems, enterprises, would it compete on the basis of what kind of care am I getting? How, how are you, and back to Sharice's point, this is why the whole one medical slash Amazon, it's both an intriguing, scary, and interesting concept all at once because it is basically aligning all of those things under one roof that I as a patient, like, you know, if I can actually do it, 999 or a 12 2999 telehealth visit today and not leave my desk and get in a car mm -hmm. and drive i'm gonna do it and that is going to be providing value to me and value to, to the engine so again i hate to go back to aligning financial incentives but unless we do get serious about doing that we're going to spin our wheels for a little bit amen to that <laughs> That's totally true. <laughs> I think the Costco might be a little interesting too with Sesame Health. I mean, they have a loyalty thing. Yeah. And uh, I think what happens right now as a consumer, and I'm just really speaking from a consumer having a daughter and myself, it's just such an awful fragmented experience where you get your doc's visit, you get the labs. And even if they're at the same group, they don't talk, they don't speak, they don't work together. And uh, so... I um, know that we're going to see a more and more driving integral medicine where people want to be taken care of as a person, holistic, and there are going to we're going to see that driving up as well. They're starting to take insurance, and uh, you know they do prescribe medications, but it's a holistic approach. People are tired of uh, it, it's it's too blatant. You know when you go see a doc and they're just clicking away on their you know, and they keep on, you know, I'm the same age, by the way, I'm almost 50, Sergio. So I'm now at that age where they want to tell me every time I see them, <laughs> go 50. They want to say, hey, you got to take your statins. And I found out the other day from someone that I can take this uh, yeast, rice, whatever, whatever, and it's 50% lowered her cholesterol. And I'm, I'm not trying to do this crazy, like, you know, all those whatever, but there's stuff out there where people are tired of calling the doctor's office and they can't even give you a, a schedule because of their template isn't even working for six months. I mean, so it's just the consumerization, I think, will drive that. Hence, medical, one medical. And I'll stop there. I'm just trying to get you guys excited. Well, I think that one of the things, um, you know, if you think of in terms of people trying to get appointments and stuff nowadays, 
um, that is a bit of a frustration because it takes so long they'll get appointments. Another place where I said, uh, where I think Amazon is going to um, be a driver because Amazon, you know, people have been asking, why is Amazon so invested in um, primary care? And I'm like, Amazon is not invested in primary care. They're invested in the future of care. So what they're doing is laying a foundation where they can convince um, a public whose attention they already have to say, hey, we can make this more convenient for you. You don't have to sacrifice the relationship you have with your doctor because we're going to get this to you in a way that you need to have it. And we're going to remove all those obstacles that you have seen traditionally. Now, I'm not like the well, I am a fan of Amazon because of um, all that they've been able to remove from the system. But um, I'm not out here, to, you know, waving the Amazon flag um, because there is some impersonalization. But I think if we can learn from how Amazon views our healthcare system, um, I think we can it can go a long way to teaching some of us to say, hey, you know, we need to go back to where we're looking at what's good for the patient and what's good for the provider instead of saying, how many patients can we get in to see in a short amount of time and make the most money? You know, so it is possible to make your money and also keep physicians without um, from burning out and keep patients um, happy and focusing on the convenience because we have to make healthcare now seamless in their lives, right? I think also their whole consumer delight, customer delight, day one. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. I know healthcare just needs that to see things from a consumer perspective. And I think that's yep. where Amazon excels immensely. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, that's their whole tenants. I mean, if you're a founder, any founder needs to read 1997, you know, Jeff Bezos book, uh, not just the the book, but his, his actual shareholders letter. It's, it's, it's just such a, uh, evergreen practice and it's healthcare still is not, you know, it's just tone deaf to that, those principles. So anyway, um, Sergio, you have any thoughts over there? I know you're thinking of something. We're kind of at our, we got about five minutes left coming towards the top of the hour, kind of winding down. So this is the moment to shine, do a few more mic drops, man. We've had some serious <laughs> mic drops on planetary health first, <laughs> Mars next, started out on AI with pre-authorizations. That's what we thought we were talking about, only to have a prediction from, you know, Sharice uh, and Sergio that there will be a day where there will be no pre-authorizations. What a great um, realization here today. Gosh, talk about pressure. Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> so, I I think that we need to be cognizant of the fact that you know we are in a heavily regulated, absolutely um, heavily profitable industry, but at the end of the day, we are here to take care of patients. Uh, by all means, let's 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 make let's make a buck. But if we are going to put our money where, where our mouth is, and we really are going to be interoperable, and we really want to share data, and we want to compete, if, if a patient goes to Charissa's hospital versus my hospital, is because the data supports it. So I think that the moment we allow or we gently push for the free flow of data. And that gently push is me, me saying, you know, all right, HHS, all right, CMS, all right, uh, ONC, 
you made it, I mean, R RCE, you did an amazing thing with this QN model, right? Now let's go all the way, make mm -hmm. it mandatory. Wow. Force people to participate. Force people to at a minimum share data. And then, sure, let the market dictate winners and losers. Let the, yeah. let the evolution of who provides better care, who provides better access, who provides a better patient experience, because those things matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? It, it is a statistical fact that if you were incredibly nice to me, you smiled, you said hello, you were kind, caring, generous, you, you made my patient experience a delight. You know how many people I'm going to tell about it? Mm. Zero. Maybe at some dinner party when next time I run into Cerise at some conference, like, oh, my God, I had this one. Eh. And it'll be an anecdotal, oh, by the way. However, if I go and you're mean, you're rude, you make my experience a living hell, I'm going to take so – I'm going to tell some people. No, <laughs> you're going to be a, a video fact. on TikTok. It was well, awful. Today, today, oh, today is going to be on TikTok. You got – you got to go to this hospital. It was so bad. You got to go and experience, taste how awful this I, thing. So I, I think, I think that, you know, it's, it's, again, it's the alignment. I'm, I'm, I, I am, I think my 2024 uh, word is going to be alignment. The, the moment that you incentivize, you align incentives and, you know, it's, we don't have to agree. We don't mm -hmm. even have to agree on, on, on what to agree. But if we like, you know, does it make sense for you, you and I to go kind of in the same directions and it's going to benefit us all in our own time frame and time zones and, and own perspectives? Because if the answer to that is yes, you've got something that we need to capitalize on. And I think QHIM got us there. I mean, I think that the QHIM thing, uh, the QHIM event, it, it, it's, it has the ability to be cataclysmic because if now the ONC says, hey, CMS, hey, CDC, hey, government agencies, you have this vehicle, use it. Mm. And I keep on harping on CMS because let's, let's be honest, biggest payer on earth. Yep. The moment that the biggest payer on earth starts paying attention and say, okay, I join a given and I will play in treatment, payment and operations, uh, patient acts, all of these things kind of really forces the hand of the rest of the industry. Mm. Yep. Well, where do we where do we go from here? You know, this was just great. Um, this was a great conversation. It, uh, <laughs> um, but I think where we go from here is um, to actually be actionable on, on the things that we say. On the you know, Sergio and I are both considered leaders and influential, so we have to take our voices and inspire other people to do the work. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we have to be actionable in our steps and our writing and everything that we do and let the dreamers dream. I always say when, you know, when products or solutions come to market, they're meant to make um, systems run more smoothly or um, to make things smoother for physicians or patients. We need all of those things to succeed. Right. They don't all do, um, but we need them to because we need people to be able to, again, make healthcare work seamless in their lives. So with regard to the whole pre-off thing and that type of thing, we need the dreamers to dream and we need to create a atmosphere where it's okay for them to create things that make things better for patients and physicians and make our clients money. <laughs> yeah. And, and listen, and, and, and fail. You know, I was reading something that says <clears throat> the difference between a winner and a loser, a loser is a person who just 
didn't get up and did it again. I, I mean, the reality mm -hmm. is you have, you know, I read this, uh, you were talking about 1997. I love that. But uh, I was also reading a quote from Michael Jordan and that the guy quoted like, yeah, like I've missed uh, 23,000, some crazy number where the guy actually kept track of every single shot he missed. Mm -hmm. Arguably the greatest player, basketball player ever. Don't want to get into uh, controversy, but I'm a, uh, what can I say? <laughs> The Bulls, the, the 90s Bulls are it for me. Yeah. Sergio, um, I love that reference. And I also want to add to the Amazon with the experiments. That, when I read his book, which really was ex excerpts from all his speeches, there's a book. Walter Isaacson wrote the forwarder, and uh, he wasn't able to get him. I guess Elon Musk beat him on that, but that's another thing. I Hopefully, <laughs> if he pays enough, he will. But, but the whole thing was they were experimenting. They ran so many experiments in that place, and they still do, and that's part of that culture day one. So I think you're so right on that. And um, hopefully you guys galvanized and excited uh, the healthcare community on I know you did on this today. So I really want to first and foremost, thank you, uh, Sergio and Cherise for saying yes to coming today and hope to have you in the future as well. Love to. So you heard it live today on Planetary Health First, Mars Next, Bring a Friend series. And this was all about pre-authorization and healthcare. And we thought we were going to solve it. But really, we, we forecast that it's no longer necessary if everything lines up. We don't, we don't, we're not, we're not short sellers. We can't tell you how to invest in the, the app to short sell pre-authorizations. But anyway, you heard it live. Have a great day. And we wish you the best.